yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. We are streaming live right now in the FTJ studios. It's your host, Addison. Welcome to a brand new edition of From the Jump. I believe this is episode 94 of From the Jump. I'm jamming in the studio as always with my engineer, Eric, always on the ones and twos, always hooking it up, always pulling up whenever I need him. Happy holidays to everybody out there that celebrates the holiday. I know this was a holiday weekend for a lot of people. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to go home with my family, but I will be home really, really soon. Of course, I love, I miss my family. I wasn't able to get home this specific holiday. But without further ado, you already know we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. I hope you didn't eat too, too much. Because you know I'm about to go upside your head today. You know I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to go upside your head today. Because we got a lot to talk about. We got to talk about Alabama and Auburn. You know, we got to talk about Ohio State college football, of course. The 0-11 Bengals getting victories. Of course, we got to talk about Lamar Jackson yesterday. Brilliance against the San Francisco 49ers. And the New England Patriots might have a serious problem on their hands. Um, we are streaming on all digital platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found and or are distributed. That's where we are located on. Continue to keep streaming us. But without further ado, man, it's from the jump. Let's roll. But, of course, you know, I got to give you the NFL 13 recap. And, of course, the biggest game on Sunday was the Houston Texans. I'm sorry, not the Houston Texans. Was the, well, That was one of them. And we'll get to the Houston Texans and the New England Patriots in a few moments. But the first game the first game on tap was the San Francisco 49ers versus the Baltimore Ravens. Now, of course, this game transpired on Sunday. Justin Tucker hit the game winning field goal. Rainy, mud bowl, Baltimore, Maryland type of football game. And this was a game that was important on the surface, but could ultimately have ramifications on the back end. And as we saw last night with the Seattle Seahawks winning, they now own the tiebreaker over the San Francisco 49ers. So technically, if that game is to be played now in the playoffs, it won't be at Levi Stadium. It'll actually be, I believe, in Seattle. But I I, I don't want to be quoted on that. I, just, I saw that last night. I don't want to be quoted on that. But as it stands right now, I mean, this was a heavyweight fight on Sunday. Two defenses that, that that put on both spectacular shows was able to both get turnovers on Lamar Jackson and also was able to get a turnover on Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, Lamar Jackson did finish Sunday's game 14 for 2,305 yards, one touchdown through the air, and also had 16 carries for 101 yard and one touchdown rushing. And that, I think that was the difference in the game because, as I said, when you go back and when you look at the football game, that's the one thing that jumps off the stat sheet every week is Lamar Jackson rushing the football. Your quarterback should not be leading your team in rushing. But what the 49ers were able to do, where they were able to contain Lamar Jackson. And week in and week out, Lamar Jackson is doing so. And as we saw with the San Francisco 49ers defense, they weren't able to stop Lamar Jackson entirely, but they were able to contain Lamar Jackson. Again, to only hold him to how many he had, 105, 101. So that's what, 206 yards total offense combined, you know, with himself. And that's how they used to do it in college. See, in college is a little bit different than the NFL. In college, that those chunk yards, that the, the all-purpose yards, mean something. And I think that's what you're starting to slowly but surely see in the NFL because we're seeing that that makes all the difference. Your quarterback carrying the ball 16 times, and let's just say you give Mark Ingram the ball nine times. That's, I mean, that's 25 carries between both of those guys. That's controlling the clock. So when we go look at that time of possession the Baltimore Ravens have had the ball longer than the San Francisco 49ers now what I will say is this and here's what I'll say going forward with the San Francisco 49ers is 
the Baltimore Ravens did a great job of taking George Kittle away. So I believe going forward, George Kittle will be a factor if they were to play again in Miami in the Super Bowl, drier conditions, assumably. But from as it stands, I mean, we I think we saw what the, the best 49ers are going to give. I think we saw the best game for the 49ers. And I mean, I, my only takeaway from this, I mean, I didn't really have a whole lot of takeaways from this football game because, again, this is a heavyweight fight. And I think we both saw defenses be on full display like yo like if this is a Super Bowl game this is what it would ultimately look like I mean I know it'd be a little bit drier so Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore Ravens offense probably be a little bit more high octane but the reality of this situation is this is the this is ultimately what we would see if this was a Super Bowl matchup so again this is the AFC versus NFC matchup so of course we can't really take too much stock into it however as it stands right now (laughs) the Baltimore Ravens are on eight game win streak and Lamar Jackson is front-running with this MVP. I mean, again, week in, week, I keep checking off the box. Who do you want him to beat? He's beat Russell Wilson. He's beat Tom Brady. He's beat Jimmy Garoppolo. Those are the three best teams. I mean, who do you want him to beat? He keeps lining them up and keeps knocking them down. I, I mean, week in, week out, man. Shout-out to LJ, man. The Baltimore Ravens over the San Francisco 49ers, 20-17. Another game that transpired on Sunday was also the Houston Texans over the New England Patriots. And this was also an important AFC football game. And the reason why this football game in the AFC was important was because of the fact that the Texans, for seeding reasons, needed to win this football game because, of course, now they are the, the sole leader in the AFC South. But, too, as far as confidence-wise, as far as beating an elite team, that they did beat the Kansas City Chiefs earlier on this season. They did get blanked by the Baltimore Ravens 41-7. to But beating the New England Patriots on Sunday gave the Houston Texans a bit of confidence that they needed a, going into the playoffs, but B, going into the rest of the season. Because year after year after year with the Houston Texans, we always look for that signature win. Now, we did see Lamar Jackson. I'm sorry, not Lamar Jackson. We did see Deshaun Watson go up to Foxborough and put on a hell of a performance in Foxborough before. So uh, it, this Sunday's performance wasn't anything new. And again, he finished the game 18 for 25, 234 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interception. Also, for the other side, Tom Brady was 24 for 47 326 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. I still don't trust the Houston Texans only because Bill O'Brien is their head coach. I know Deshaun Watson is Superman. I know, you know, DeAndre Hopkins catches literally everything. But, 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 but what I can and what I will say is since the, the they brought in Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde, that running game slowly but surely has been activated for the Houston Texans, which has been, has, has been a key. I believe for the, the New England Patriots, I mean, we all can see their void of talent offensively. I mean, without Antonio Brown, without Rob Gronkowski, I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're really limited. I mean, last year, as I've been saying on this podcast, the, 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 the reason why the New England Patriots were able to be so good is because they were able to run the football at you and play defense. And the key of that running was Gronkowski. Gronkowski, as great as a violent tight end as he was after the catch, was also a great blocking tight end as well. But as we're seeing right now, ultimately, as great as the New England Patriots defense is, offensively they're challenged and if you have to go against Kansas City in the playoffs if you have to go against Baltimore in the playoffs if you even have to go against Houston again in the playoffs offensively for offense can you match up no that answer is no right now for the New England Patriots they cannot match up offensively with the Kansas City Chiefs we've already saw they can't match up with the Baltimore Ravens and we just saw on Sunday offensively they struggled against the Houston Texans so again the New England Patriots are going to need some help. I don't know. Sanu, Myers, I don't know. Somebody's going to maybe have to emerge, but it's looking rough for the New England Patriots. The Houston Texans did defeat the New England Patriots. The Houston Texans over the New England Patriots, 28-22. to 
But of course, keeping with week 13, and it was nothing short of entertaining the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Cleveland Browns 20 to 13. Devlin Hodges, 14 for 21, 212 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Baker Mayfield, 18 for 32, 196 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also did injure his thumb in the game, though he did also remain and also played in the game as well. Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry also did struggle on Sunday as well. Odell Beckham had three catches for 29 yards. I think he was targeted only six times, I believe. And then Jarvis Landry had six catches for 76 yards. Now, of course, with this win, the Steelers are now still in sixth place in that playoff race. And with this loss, it drops the Cleveland Browns to 5-7, and seven, which ranks them now 10th in the AFC you know, playoff race, if you will, behind the Colts. Raiders, and also the Tennessee Titans. Now, with that being said, also Freddie Kitchens had to answer some questions with the media, and he had to answer in regards to his T-shirt that he wore with the fan, apparently that said, Pittsburgh started it. Now, here's what Freddie Kitchens had to say after Sunday's game. The T-shirt didn't have anything to do with us uh, at the minus one moving out. I wore a T-shirt. I wore a jacket with it. Uh, my daughters wanted me to wear the shirt, and I'd wear it again. I put a jacket on. I covered it up. I took a picture with a fan. That was as simple as that. You know, T-shirt. I mean, T-shirt didn't cause us to give up 40-yard passes, and we were ready to play. That's the only thing people need to be concerned about. We were ready to play. Now, what's interesting about this situation is that he said that Pittsburgh started it, but when the initial situation happened, he said that he don't condone fighting. He didn't condone what Miles Garrett did. So when you come out and you publicly blast Miles Garrett for the action. And then you wear the T-shirt on the back end lets me know that that's hypocrisy for one. But for two, what is the true message that you're truly trying to send? Now, I guess he came out and said that, you know, his daughter gave him the shirt, blah, blah. OK, we get it. However, he got the shirt, whether or not he bought it, whether or not he had it made at the mall, wherever he got the T-shirt from, he decided to wear it. And the fact that he decided to take a picture with the fan, almost instigating the situation, almost kind of blowing the situation out of its true proportion, because, again, a football game had to be played on Sunday. And I could see if Odell Beckham Jr. had the T-shirt on. I could see if Jarvis Landry had the T-shirt on. I could see, for what it's worth, Baker Mayfield, right? Even though I would have had a problem with Baker Mayfield wearing the T-shirt. Because, again, he kind of came on camera and said that that's not who we are. That's not what we're about right after the game. So I would have had a huge issue if that was what Baker Mayfield did. But the fact that the head coach, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Now, imagine if Mike Tomlin wore a T-shirt. And he was caught during the week with the Cleveland started a T-shirt and, and almost like black and yellow, if you will, taking a photo with the fan. Do you know the media would destroy Mike Tomlin? And then on top of that, come into Sunday's game and then lose that game? You, the media would destroy Mike Tomlin. This Cleveland Brown football team, as we said from day one, was disastrous to begin with. And there's nothing, and they're proving us every single week the more they keep losing, that they're right. I came on air last week, and I said all they had to do was just win a couple more games. They had an easy, winnable rest of the schedule. <laughs> but this loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers, a, a team that is playing their third-string quarterback who was without Juju Smith-Schuster, a team who, was, I believe, across the board, is inept talent-wise, should have won. But again, the Cleveland Browns, once again, on another week, were concerned about everything else other than winning the football game. But don't go anywhere. Up next on From the Jump, we'll talk college football just over this past weekend, some important games for this upcoming weekend. And on today's edition of the wrap-up, we'll talk about the NFL suspending Josh Shaw. Stay tuned. It's From the Jump.
being from the hood should never be glorified like yeah, I'm from the hood. It's not an option, you know, it's just, it is what it is. But instead of glorifying it, try to help it. I'm gonna try to make sure I put on the best facade I can, if it has to be a facade or whatever, to teach them to do the right thing. Like, never nothing negative, positive vibes on me. I try to help them already as much as I can, but by me doing this with Reebok and them giving me an opportunity to help better them, it was like the perfectest thing ever. The perfectest thing ever. Like, them mean a lot to me. Time we got that new washing machine. Um, you can get a Maytag washer today at Black Friday prices. Today. Right now. Let's go. Oh, okay. Nice job. Thank you. Hey, you think you guys can drop me off at in there gone? Save big now on powerful Maytag washers that tackle tough stains. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, we are live in the FTJ studios. Of course, I'm with my engineer, Eric, always on the ones and twos. I got to always say, you know, said I always got to shout out my engineer. Everybody always be asking me, why you always be shouting out your engineer? Because this is the person that constructs your podcast. Whenever you come into the studio, whenever you drop in the podcast, this is the person that chops it up, makes sure it gets to Spotify. He adds the episode notes, kind of does all the behind the scenes work for your boy as I kind of, you know, curate the topics and what I'm going to talk about. So shout out to my engineer, Eric. Always hooking it up for you, boy. But of course, you know, I got to keep with the podcast. Of course, quick sports update for the day. The quick scores around the association, the NBA, that is, last night. The Phoenix Suns defeated the Charlotte Hornets 109-104. to 104. The Philadelphia 76ers defeated the Utah Jazz 103-94. to 94. The Atlanta Hawks defeated the Golden State Warriors 104-79. to 79. The Milwaukee Bucks over the New York Knicks 132-88. to 88. The Indiana Pacers defeated the Memphis Grizzlies 117-104. to 104. And the Chicago Bulls. Defeated the Sacramento Kings 113 to 106. Also, Carmelo Anthony was named Western Conference Player of the Week, which, of course, as we all know, he had made his return from not retirement, but being on the streets to the Portland Trailblazers. And this past week, they did go 3 0, defeating the Chicago Bulls twice, as well as the Oklahoma City Thunder. And now, in those three games, Carmelo Anthony averaged 22 points, 7.7 rebounds, and also 2.7 assists. Now, this is the first time he has been named player of the week since March 10th of 2014 and of course that was with the New York Knicks now again a lot of people I saw a lot of people saying Luka Doncic should have got it which he's playing exceptional basketball right now and of course James Harden had that 60 point game the other night but see the reason why I wouldn't have given it to James Harden in that 60 point game was simply because of the fact that though James Harden went 16 for 24 from the field 8 for 14 from three point he went to the free throw line 23 times and that's the problem with me. Oh, and by the way, it was against the Atlanta Hawks. So, though I know at night in a night out basis, the competition is going to vary. The reality of the situation is James Harden can't get player of the week every week. And James Harden has these 60-point nights basically once a week and or once a month. And as I said, when you go to the free throw line 20 times, for me, that kind of negates some of the points. Now, as it stands right now, Carmelo Anthony is still on a non-guaranteed contract. So before January 9th, the Portland Trailblazers could decide 
They don't want Carmelo Anthony. But of course, him garnering this award, I don't think Carmelo Anthony will be going anywhere. And I think this will be a guaranteed contract. But again, this is what we want to see from Carmelo Anthony is would he be able to fit within a team and within a role? And we're seeing with the Portland Trailblazers that role of him coming off the bench. But ultimately, he will be starting as the season progresses, playing that stretch four. I think it's good for the game. But shout out to Carmelo Anthony for getting NBA player of the week. As a lead blocker, Jones throws it to Harris behind him. It's intercepted. Picked off. And it's Kobe McClain. Can he take it? Are you kidding me? 100 yards. Touchdown. But, of course, you know, it was a big college football weekend over this past week. Now, starting off with the Alabama-Auburn game. Of course, Auburn defeated Alabama. 48 to 45, a game in which we got to give it to Nick Saban. We got to we got to put all the blame on Nick Saban because I felt like two coaching, I felt like two coaching discrepancies cost him this game. And 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 typically with, with the Nick Saban football team, he's typically the guy that always comes out on top in these kind of games. And I'm starting to see as the years start to progress, slowly but surely, he isn't as chess like as I thought in these pressurized situations. Because if you watch that game on Saturday, there were three plays that changed, well, really two plays that changed the entire game. One, it was the pick six return for a touchdown. And then it was also the interception he threw, Mac Jones threw in the red zone as Alabama was driving. Those two interceptions, one ultimately ending in a touchdown, and then one that gave the other team an extra possession, I think, which led to a touchdown, ultimately changed this entire football game. Also, they had a 12-minute on the field penalty. Those two plays at the end of the game, typically you don't see a Nick Saban-like football team go through those type situations. They're typically always prepared in the special teams, and they're typically always prepared in late-game-like situations. And on Saturday, I saw a team that really was unprepared, and I ultimately had to put that on Nick Saban. And again, I typically don't put a lot of losses on Nick Saban because typically he's typically you know good in these kind of football games, especially on the road, especially an opponent, Gus Malzahn, who he's faced off time and time and time again, and going against a freshman quarterback against Bo Nix. Uh, I'm sorry. I got to put this loss on, on Nick Saban. But it's the same thing I was telling Eric in the Alabama-Auburn game is the same thing that transpired in the Ohio State-Michigan game. Of course, Ohio State did defeat Michigan 56-27. to The same thing happened. Same two plays, not the same two plays, but two plays in the Michigan-Ohio State game changed the entire game. Of course, the Justin Fields Heisman moment when he injures himself, he injures his leg, comes back in the game, throws, basically gets hit, throws touchdown on a dime. That, I mean, that was just like a Heisman moment right there. But the fourth and four penalty right before the first half was huge on Michigan. You you get the turnover you need on, on Ohio State. They're punting the football. You jump off sides. I believe it was fourth and four. You jump off sides. You give them the first down. Ohio State then gets the football. J.K. Dobbins touchdown. Now they're up two touchdowns. This football game is out of reach. And I also thought that in the same breath, there was a red zone fumble by Shea Patterson. They were driving. Michigan was driving. They were getting ready to score the football. The, the, the drive in which I think it was it Peoples Jones, he caught it in the end zone. He dropped it. Then they get the next possession. The next possession, Shea Patterson fumbles. Well, then you give Ohio State the football back. And then at the end, they end up scoring again. That was the football game in the first half. The game was over with. Now I know in the second half it got the game was over with. So as I said, and and, and I want to and I want to read this stat to you about Michigan and Ohio State because again that was the game right there. The two takeaways from the football game was the fourth and four penalty before the half because 
that was the drive in which Michigan needed. They were only down one touchdown. They get the football, they tie it up, right, going into halftime. Now we got a different game in the second half. But Ohio State goes up two touchdowns before the half. You're not catching them. But Michigan's record versus Ohio State, here's their record versus Ohio State since 2000. Of course, the end of the decade is, is nearing us. Since 2000, their record is 3-20. and 20. The last time they've had a victory against Ohio State was 2011. And, of course, Denard Robinson, a.k.a. Shoelace, was the quarterback. And, of course, Brady Hoke was the head coach. So, as I said, that was the last time they got a victory against Ohio State was 2011. It's 2019, about to be 2020. You, you, you can do the math in your head. So, leads me to my last. And I ain't going to lie to you. I, I really feel bad for Jim Harbaugh because he's in almost like a no-win situation. Of course, he's in the same conference as Ohio State. So, every year, no matter what, he's going to have to go through Ohio State. He's never going to be able to out-recruit Ohio State, which he gets that. He always typically gets Michigan kids. He's going to get kids that typically fit his system, not necessarily the sexy number one overall recruit at wide receiver, number one recruit quarterback. Now, he's typically going to get guys that fit his system. He'll sprinkle in some, some, you know, a few top recruits here and there. But the reality of the situation is he's in a no-win situation, being in the same conference as Ohio State. Every year having to battle Ohio State and just basically go 9-3, and 10-3 every year. Is that good enough for Michigan fans? No, because Michigan fans ultimately want to be competing for a Big Ten championship. On today's edition of the wrap-up, the NFL says that it will be suspending Josh Shaw for the entire 2020 season or throughout basically the entire 2020 season for apparently betting on multiple NFL games. Now, apparently they said that the league has not found that they apparently they have said the league has not found true evidence that Josh Shaw used inside information to make his bets or that any of the NFL games were compromised. Now, apparently this stems back from a, a parlay bet that was made on Sunday, November 10th at the Caesar Sports Book in Las Vegas. Now, this bet was made on the second half of three NFL Week 10 games. It says three NFL Week 10 games, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Arizona Cardinals at the time who the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were leading the Arizona Cardinals 17-13 to at the half. Now, apparently it also says the Buccaneers were one-point favorites for the second half. They failed to cover the second half spread, but they ultimately went on to defeat the Arizona Cardinals. So apparently Josh Shaw ended up losing that bet. Now, this is a, a quote that comes straight out of the commissioner desk that says, if you work in the NFL in any capacity, you may not bet on the NFL football game. Again, I want to read this quote. If you work in the NFL in any capacity, you may not bet on the NFL football game, said Roger Goodell in a press release of the suspension. Now, with the suspension coming down on Josh Shaw, I believe that this was almost like them making an example out of Josh Shaw, if you will. And of course, I believe that there are multiple players. There are probably a lot of players in the league that are gambling on these football games. And the reason being is because football right now is at an all-time premium. And I'm not just talking about on the field. I'm talking about outside of the field. With all these different fantasy football, DraftKings, you can, you know, pick a, you know, a team on, on one specific day. There's a lot of different, you know, ways in which you can make money around the NFL game. And what a lot of these players are starting to do is a lot of these players are in these fantasy football league. A lot of these players are playing DraftKings. A lot of these players are hitting each other up saying, hey, man, I need you to catch eight or nine footballs today. That's the bottom line of what's going on in the NFL. Oh, and not to mention that NFL Stadium is being built in Las Vegas. Legal. So you can come and bet on sports, a.k.a. NFL football games. So with that being said, is this a problem for the NFL? Slightly. 
only because of the fact that now we have an NFL team in Las Vegas. So you're going to have guys that are going to be playing the Raiders, teams that are going to be playing the Raiders that will be coming out here and that will be making bets, whether or not it's on their game specifically and or on other games. Now, should players be allowed to bet on other games outside of their own? I believe yes. Every game outside of their own, I believe they should be able to bet on. But I understand why the NFL ultimately wants to dead this rule because they don't want the games to ultimately be compromised. We kind of feel like they're being compromised by the referees, but then that's just my conspiracy theory, you know, talking. But the bottom line is they don't want the games to be compromised, which is why they don't allow anybody, whether or not it's from owner, general manager, anybody. So in this case, by Josh Shaw being caught, this is just the NFL making an example out of him, letting everybody else around the league know that, hey, if you are gambling or betting on games, you will be suspended indefinitely for the entire year. We are streaming on all digital platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, where else are we at? iHeartMedia, wherever the podcasts are found, that's where we are. So definitely tap into us. Definitely keep pressing play. Tell a friend to tell a friend. But it's your host, Addison. We out.